Michelle Jensen Session is the co-owner of Kensington Investment Group, which owns and manages a mix of commercial and hotel properties. She's also the co-founder of Aquarius Hospitality Solutions, a strategic advisory firm for hospitality. In this episode, you'll learn why the sort of inclusive hospitality we all say we want to provide actually starts with breakfast. Hospitality. 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 Hospitality brings people together. This is Hospitality Daily, the show that helps you stay informed and inspired each day by the most interesting people in hospitality. My name is Josiah McKenzie, and my goal is to help you reconnect with why you work in this industry and get fired up to go out there, delight others, and reach your goals. Let's get started. My background is pretty unique because I came from an academic background, and then I brought that into hospitality. And there's times where I can talk about things and I sound very academic, but in real life, I am always thinking about how those academic lessons play on the field. And one of the things that I have thought a lot in terms of emotional intelligence is the cross-section between just this awareness of yourself and your own emotions and other people and their emotions and all these things, and then cultural competency. And the reason I bring this up is because I remember going to college when I was young, and I grew up in this multicultural family. And going to school, I realized that my upbringing was unique. It was shocking because I thought that everybody looked at the world the way that I did. And then you start to meet all these people and you realize, okay, so not everybody has sashimi and rice at Thanksgiving. That's a unique thing. (laughs) It's a part of my Japanese upbringing. And also something like rice for breakfast. And one of the stories I was telling recently on this is I have this memory. I have a lot of family in Hawaii. And one of the things that I love about going to Hawaii ever since I was a little girl is that when you go to McDonald's, they offer Portuguese sausage, rice, and eggs in Hawaii. And they have for many, many years. And this is just, they know who their clientele is. And so for me, it's this thing where I feel seen because they offer this meal that is a part of my upbringing, which comes from my Japanese mother. Now, this came into play a couple months ago. I had my business partner who is Russian, come to visit with his family. And I love to cook. And so I was making breakfast and I ended up making scrambles and toast and bagels or whatever for them. And then I had some leftover rice and fish for breakfast. And he looked at me and said, what are you eating? (laughs) I said, well, this is what I want for breakfast. I'm having leftover teriyaki salmon and some rice. And it just kind of blew his mind because he really, I don't think, has that much exposure to Asian cultures. But one of the things that I was thinking about as for hoteliers, we are creating experiences for a lot of different kinds of guests. And when we show up in a space thinking that everybody experiences the world the way that we do, we're making a mistake. And one of the things I've been thinking about in addition to this is the changing demographic of hoteliers in the U.S. So, for example, AHOA, obviously the largest hotel association in the world, now represents 60% of hotels in North America. That's an incredible number. And you can see this show up in different ways. For example, when you go to a brand conference, whether it's Best Western, IHG, Marriott Hilton, whatever, there is the traditional Western food. 
And there is also now Indian food. And Indian food has been at these conferences for many, many, many years. But it's because a large contingency of owners are now Indian. However, when you think about breakfast, and I come from more of a limited service model. So for us, complimentary breakfast is a huge topic of conversation every month when you're looking at your P&Ls. Why are your breakfast costs up? And why are your guest satisfaction scores down on your free breakfast? Breakfast is something, especially in a limited service, that is really hard to do well because there are incredibly high expectations on something that people don't really pay for right off the bat, right? We, we used to have continental breakfast. Maybe you would have some croissants or, or pastries, right? And now we're at this place where breakfast is pancake, eggs, bacon, cinnamon rolls. I, I mean, we have omelet stations. We have, we have all different kinds of things showing up. And it's an expectation. So in order to please a guest with your free breakfast, it is really hard to do. And this is one of those situations I've thought a lot about what Bill Walsh talks about. Delight and surprise your guests. How do you delight and surprise your guests? When there is a set expectation, trying to delight them is very hard. And when I think about not just emotional intelligence, but cultural competency, we're creating these experiences for our guests. Who are our guests? What's important to them? And how do they feel seen? And um, this actually came up on another one of your podcasts where I think they were talking about, for that particular person, um, water pressure was really big and also room temperature was really big. But for me, breakfast comes up because as hoteliers, a lot of times that's your last opportunity to make an impression on your guest in a really powerful way. Food has this power of making people happy when it's done really well or if it's done really poorly. It can also bring a really negative reaction, right? And food is really tied into identity and culture. And what's interesting to me is that as we look across the landscape of hotels, U.S. is different from other parts of the world, but we have a pretty standard breakfast that gets kind of boring. And it you know what to expect, which is great. But anytime there is some novelty there, like a like a regional special. So, for example, in the South, they have grits. You know, if you are in Hawaii, a lot of times you will see rice because they have a large Asian population. It has this power of acknowledging and seeing a person for where they come from. That is really unique. And we've talked about you know, this whole breakfast experience, part of it is, okay, we've got a business, we're watching our P&Ls, we're watching our bottom line, we're looking at the rising cost of bacon, rising cost of eggs, and at the same time, our scores are not increasing with the increase of these food costs. So how do you, how do you increase it? And I think a lot of hoteliers focus on service. So for example, in our hotels, um, breakfast bar attendants are some of the most important employees that you can have. If you have, we are in Southern Oregon, and we had one breakfast bar attendant who has been with us forever, and we had other hotels trying to poach her because she was that good. And, it, you know, the food is the same, but the person working the breakfast bar can have a huge impact. And again, it was her ability to make people feel seen 
It's her high level of emotional intelligence that made her really, really effective at her job. That's how you stand out. You either do it through the product or the delivery of the product. There's so many elements of that that I love. And I'm curious because sometimes I talk to people that say because of brand standards or some of these constraints that they're operating within, they don't have latitude to experiment or be different. I am hearing though, even if you are in one of those very strict environments, the people that you decide to hire and put out in an environment like this can make a difference. Have you encountered this, you know, with your hotels or, or your work where there have been pretty strict Absolutely. guidelines, maybe in a limited service, you know, concept? How do you operate? Is there a little bit yes, of wiggle room there? There is, there or is wiggle typically room. I mean, so for example, okay. breakfast standard may require that you have four different kinds of bread. But if you decide to have five or six, they're not going to punish you. But the best way that I actually saw this play out, it's a funny story. And if anyone from my team ever hears this story, they will laugh. But the summer of, of COVID, when we had grab and go breakfasts, and, and this was in a changing, evolving climate, right? Every month it was different. One of my hotels in particular on their P&Ls had really high sriracha expenses for a couple of months. And it wasn't a huge number in terms of, you know, the big picture. But as an owner, I was reviewing these invoices and I was just super curious because $60 of sriracha is a lot of sriracha and you're ordering it every month. What is happening with the sriracha? And it, it was it almost became this joke because I went to my director of operations. I was like, what's the story with the sriracha? Like none of the other hotels, they also have hot sauce too. So they've got like Tabasco on top of it. What, what is happening in Grants Pass, Oregon, where Sriracha is, is, is huge. And, and what happened was when we finally got to the bottom of this story, we had these grab and grow breakfasts. And that particular general manager found that when he put Sriracha packets inside the grab and grow breakfast, it just delighted certain guests. Not every, every guest, not every guest is going to use Sriracha, but the ones who like it, were thrilled. And it was such a small cost, but it was a way to stand out in these grab-and-grow breakfasts of like, oh, look at this is just that something little extra, right? So whether it's – actually, and one person I wanted to talk about on this, Seema Jane is a founder of a company called Seema Global. She has an amazing story about this cultural competence, emotional intelligence, and how to offer something different. So the story as I know it, which is probably butchering her own personal story, is she's Indian. She grew up in the U.S. and she was working as, I think, a DOS for a Marriott somewhere. And she started offering Indian wedding packages. And if you're at all familiar with Indian weddings, you'll know that they are very large, usually multiple days, and very expensive. <laughs> there is a lot of money in Indian weddings. And I don't think there are a lot of hotels in the U.S. who offer Indian wedding packages. And so she started offering this. Her numbers obviously skyrocketed, was brilliant. And she caught the attention of Marriott and ended up working for Marriott for a number of years doing cultural competency lessons, deep dives into Indian culture. And now she has her own um, organization, her own firm that offers this training. But what I loved about this was they stood out using cultural competency, knowing who their customers and offering something different in a way that nobody else was. And that just resonates with me so much of we have a we paint a broad brush 
we, we talk about knowing our guests, but we don't always talk about the cultural side of knowing our guests. We talk about their individual preferences, but how does it show up culturally? And there are there's a lot there to unpack. As an owner or an operator, where would you advise listeners to begin making steps in in this direction? Because I'm I feel like there's a staffing element, there's a training element, there's a probably a budgeting element. What are some of the considerations that you're thinking of or you would advise people to to move in, in that direction of being more culturally so competent? I've thought about this a lot because our country is so unique and depending on where you live, depending on where your hotels are, you could have a very different clientele. The type of people that you're attracting in San Francisco is going to be very different from South Dakota, right? And so a lot of this is coming down to understanding who's visiting your hotels. It's using data. So once you start to dig into what kinds of customers do I have, who is, what is their demographics, if you happen to notice that, you know, we have a lot of Chinese visitors, hmm, how am I catering to Chinese customers? And if you don't know, you can find someone and ask, right? This starts with conversations. And I think this is where networking comes in really wonderfully, because if you have a network that you can reach out to and say, hey, you know, I noticed 30% of my clients are Chinese. I don't really do anything differently for them. Is there something I should be considering? You may end up with a suggestion of, you know what, you should offer rice at breakfast, you know? But there may be other ways that this shows up. And I was just having a conversation with Sharon Yu, and she's from, I'm totally going to put this, I think it's mine. I'm going to have to look it up later. It's mind, mind something, mind click. Sharon Yu is from mind click. And okay. they do data analysis, basically. And she's an interior designer by trade who ended up going into sustainability. And we had a conversation this morning about how sustainability is not just the environmental side. It's the people side as well, right? Because sustainability is people in the environment. And I asked her as a designer, she's Korean born, but U.S. citizen, obviously. How do you think about different cultures when you are designing a hotel? Because ultimately what hoteliers are doing is we are creating experiences for a very broad group of people, but there's all these different cultures and it hits differently depending on on how you were raised, where you're from, what you value. And it's just not something that we talk about very often. So this is when we think, when I was thinking about Hospitality Daily, and I was thinking about the future leader of, of hoteliers and the future leadership of hospitality, this is one of those areas that I'm very interested in just because I come from a multicultural background, but I also know our guests, when they show up, they're used to certain things However, you have an opportunity to make them feel seen if you can be thoughtful about who they are. And it goes beyond just a temperature setting or a water pressure thing. It, you can deep dive into this and really have an impact, but it does take work. You're right. And, but again, educating yourself, having those conversations, finding out what's important, that's kind of where you begin. Yeah. I, I love it. And I think that's what I love about travel in general, right? Is it, it is helpful to also be that person in another culture and kind of he feel how that feels and kind of what you're looking for, what feels meaningful for you. I think sometimes when I've been halfway around the world, I uh, enjoy eating whatever food is there. 
And sometimes I want some familiar food as well. And there's a bit of a combination and that might not be everyone, but I think sometimes there's value to experiencing this yourself. What does it look like to, you know, not be the dominant culture or to be in a place where you're, you don't have everything familiar around yourself, right? And that's where your guests are feeling, especially if they're coming from other parts of the world. Minorities in general are used to, especially in the U.S., having to adapt to the dominant culture. It's just that's the world in which we're raised. And so when you actually acknowledge that there's another way to show up in the world, whether it's by food or culture or custom, whatever, it makes a big difference. It's a big impact. Great hospitality providers know that every touch point matters a lot, so they spend a lot of time making sure that each interaction better serves their guests and makes life easier for their teams. If you'd like to operate this way, I suggest you check out Sojourn. They've built a reputation as the market leader in helping hotels and resorts earn direct bookings through digital advertising over the years. And more recently, they've expanded into offering a complete suite of guest experience solutions, including an AI smart concierge, reputation manager, and guest marketing suite. I've been working with Sojourn for years now, and everything from the way their technology is built to the talented experts they have on staff makes it no surprise that when I talk with people about technology, Sojourn comes up again and again. Hospitality providers love them. If you'd like to learn more about how Sojourn can help you better engage your guests and drive more profitable direct bookings, visit Sojourn.com. That's S-O-J-E-R-N.com. Before we go, I want to let you know about a few more things. First, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app to stay inspired each day by actionable insights from the most interesting people in hospitality. Second, I've started sharing videos and photos from the stories on the show on Instagram and YouTube, so if you'd like to see those or watch along, I encourage you to follow Hospitality Daily there so we can stay in touch. Third, if you'd like to listen to more conversations like the one you just heard, visit this podcast website at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. I've spent a lot of time building out this website because I want to make it really easy for you to listen to the topics and guests that you are interested in, whether that's culture and leadership or operations or technology or something else. Browse and search the entire library of more than 400 episodes for some of the top leaders and innovators in hospitality at podcast.hospitalitydaily.com. Dot com to get ideas for delighting the people around you and reaching your business and career goals. I produce this podcast each day and give it away for free because I want us all to learn and grow together. If you enjoyed today's episode, I just have one favor to ask. Please take a moment to text or email this episode to a friend or colleague who might appreciate it as well. They'll be grateful to hear from you and what we covered in the show can help them as I hope it helped you today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you here tomorrow. 